0: Don't raise your eye. It's only Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: Welcome to Season 18, Episode 12, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. In the first couple of segments, we're going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets prospects with their Director of Player Development, Rick Nash. Rick, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me. It's always fun to uh, talk a little hockey and talk some prospects.
1: Well, we didn't get a chance to really get dive into last year's draft class even though we you know we we're both at the draft and on the floor um the first day tends to go a little bit fast um you know I had a quick chat with yarmo after but i would like to get your thoughts when you get brand new players into your fold um you know and particularly let's start with david Juracek, because not very often does you know an 18 year old kid who's now 19 because he had a late birthday you know makes that jump from Europe into the American Hockey League you know played some games with you guys up in Columbus but thoughts on him of watching him through camps and then getting into actually play live action and thoughts on how he's developed because that's a that's a quick transition for a young player
2: yeah it's, it's kind of interesting sometimes the um, you know the avenues of these prospects are, are uh, just kind of um, they can only go one place because of the rules you know in his situation we were we were kind of lucky that he was um allowed to play in the AHL because he, he played a, uh, a season there or, or two back home with uh with the pro guys already so you know when, once we drafted him we, we started talking to him and and uh you know the agent and his camp and figuring out what the best avenue for him is to uh to develop into a pro and Obviously, a CHL team would would have his rights, and and there's that option, or there's going back home to uh, to Europe to play in the pro league, or, you know, if he, if he makes our team, there's that avenue too. And and after seeing him in camp, and you know, watching some of his games on on video, and then obviously having Yarmol as our uh, as our GM, just see him where the player was at. In, in this case, David Juracek, you know, we we felt like his best development would come against against other pro players, and. And for us to kind of keep tabs on him and him be two hours away, a two-hour drive away was was a huge uh, a huge perk for us to to place him in Cleveland and kind of see how he does uh, down there. So it's 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 kind of interesting when you get a European player. Um, you know the rules kind of change on where he can play.
3: Rick, uh, back to his draft season when he was coming out of Chechia, I'd say. Probably the biggest area of development that was, that was needed was the recovery skating in terms of being able to manipulate off the center line and pivot correctly and make adjustments. So, that he, you know, I remember at the World Championships, uh, he, he had a bit of a difficulty because of the recovery skating and, and he was getting behind the play at times. Uh, do you feel that he's starting to develop uh, in Cleveland for you uh, in terms of the skating base? And is he staying, uh, staying above the puck more often as a result of it?
2: Yeah, you know what? It's it's kind of interesting that uh that you say that because we we heard a, a few kind of knocks and, and reports about his uh skating and his and his pivots. And you know, we, we didn't see see much of it during camp. We were we were kind of questioning, and even into the exhibition games, um, you know, we, we thought he looked fine, but then you get into that regular season and you get into the NHL pace, and you know, he he's a big guy at at 6'3, too. And and you gotta remember he's so young and and you know, he hasn't been exposed to the pace of the NHL. So it, it was definitely something that, that we're working on uh, with with David to kind of, you know, get that NHL pace. And, and you can tell in his game sometimes that he, he will stay above the puck and, you know, maybe lose a little bit of gap just to uh, to correct, um, you know, not have to, to pivot and, and catch up to the guy. But in David's case, um, after kind of not seeing him too much uh, before the draft because I'm in development, and then once we get him, I watch a bunch of video. Um, I feel like in, in the summer he took a huge step, and and once he got to pro camp, uh, I guess it for me it wasn't as negative as uh, as I read about on uh, online.
1: How much of that, Rick, is remembering that? They're 18, 19-year-old kids. And in a really short period of time, four months to six months, their improvement in the area, if it's focused and they get assistance from skills coaches, development coaches, that there can be marked improvements comparative to a player who's maybe in their mid-20s.
2: Yeah, Shane, you're you're right on that. Just just because these guys are are, are so young still, and, and you can still teach them, you know, all those kind of bad habits that you might get a guy when they're 26, 27 hasn't seemed to creep into their games yet and um you know it, it's it's kind of funny with d-man it sometimes i might not get the full uh, aspect on on the pivots because obviously i didn't have to spend a lot of time skating backwards but um you know a, a good thing here in columbus we got steve mccarthy coaching our d um that's that's helped a lot and he was in cleveland for a few years and and, you know, he, he kind of goes over a lot of video with these guys. But like you said, it's it's so important that they just keep working on it and keep getting better. And in such a short time frame, you can see it improve that much more.
1: I'm curious, because you were a forward, how much is, does it help their de- defense of seeing, uh, telling the defenseman and having them look through a forward's eyes? So when a player like me or a player like, you know, Kent Johnson is coming down on you, coming down like with the puck, this is how to consider. Like, here are the things to consider, right, before. And like that's what we had a chat about, you know, Nick Listerman, who you played against, is that he always, almost always forced the forward to make the first move, right? And it's almost like for David is he's so lanky and he has range that if the, he forces the defenseman to make the, or the, the forward to make the first move, that's to his advantage in that way, just to be patient in that respect.
2: Yeah, that you know what um, I try to teach that to uh, to our D man is kind of what I I look for as a, as an easier D man to play against or a harder guy to play against. Um, you know, I, I think about uh, we got a guy here uh, Gavrikov, who you know he always seems to be in the way and positionally he always seems to be in the right position and he battles and he's hard on pucks. So I, I use him as an example quite a bit with our young prospects, guys like Oli Holm and uh, Sam uh, Natsko and, and, and these guys telling them to watch clips on, uh, on Gavrikov because that is so frustrating to play against. You know, he, he's not a guy that's going to step up every single game and, and, and with a big hit, but he's a guy that's always in the way. And when I think about David's game a bit, he could do that easily. And obviously he could throw his body around too. But at the same time, as a forward, when I look at it as a forward eyes or, or a goal scorer's eyes, those are the guys that are hard to play against that, that just kind of take your ice and space away by by being in the way. And, and it's, it's really you're not asking a defenseman to, uh, you know, to put a guy through a wall or step up and, and make huge hits at, at the blue lines. You're just asking them to be positionally uh, in place where you're going to frustrate the forwards.
1: Thoughts on uh, Denton Matejcik, another defenseman you guys took in the first round, and his upside. There's so few really true offensive defensemen in the NHL. If you really go through the rosters and being able to get a player of that potential, how exciting is it to see him continue to develop into he could be a, like a really prominent player for you guys on the blue line one day?
2: Yeah you know what I'm I'm very excited about uh about Denton um I got to see him a, a few times live uh just because we had Martin Rice there in uh, in Moose Jaw last year and you know I, I look back at my uh, my reports and and every time I Denton stuck out to me on every game that I saw Marty play in so it was kind of fun to have that amateur aspect from him and then get a chance to uh to draft him and now uh follow him follow him around but he is he's an exciting player with a offensive dynamic and you know he, he I really think he's a player that can uh, control the game and I was just out in uh, Red Deer to uh to watch Moose Jaw play Red Deer and you know when he has the puck he has the confidence he has the patience with it um he he, he can make plays in his own zone he can make plays on the offensive uh, blue line so he's a competitor and and he's definitely someone that uh, that as an organization, we were excited to, uh, to get him.
3: I love his mental makeup, Rick. You know, as you said, is just always trying to control the game. So offensively dominant at times, but uh, with the smaller defenseman, the one thing I was going to ask you about him was uh, where are you with this, with his defensive ability in terms of the multi-dimensional aspect, do you feel that he plays uh, a physical enough game to hold? How do you feel he is in terms of, of holding physically with the frame he has?
2: Yeah, well, it's a good question, Brad, because it's it's these guys are so young, like we talked about before, and and you know I I, I sometimes talk about uh, guys having their men's strength, and you know sometimes when they're so young, you don't know if they're fully uh, developed into their or comfortable in their body and, and have their uh, you know full men's strength, and I think Denton could could fall under that a bit, and I think we saw that during some exhibition games here in Columbus, where uh, you know the speed and and down in the corners, you know when you're going up. Uh, you know, against guys like Malkin or Crosby or Barkov, it's, it's a different level of strength. And, and for a young guy, it's a good test during some of these exhibition games, but, but then, you know, last game uh, I was at live with a live viewing, he, he played against a real physical uh, red deer team. And, you know, he, he had some battles out there, but uh, I'm telling you, he, he held his own and, you know, as I get to know him, he's, he's a true competitor and, you know, when you look around the NHL, you see some of these, these smaller guys, whether it's a, a Tory Krug or a Nick Blankenberg, um, you know, a Spurgeon, these guys are smaller frames, but but their competitiveness kind of puts about an extra 15 pounds on them. And I, and I feel like Denton's like that now in saying that he's going to have to get stronger. He's going to have to get faster and a bit more explosive to be a dominant player in the NHL. But... Um, the one thing I don't think you can teach is that competitiveness that, that Denton has.
1: Yeah. One of the things I always find interesting when the, the smaller defenseman is make, they seem to under the ones that are successful, understand how to use leverage in terms of, you know, trying to put some pressure on, on the forwards, knees or hips or underneath his armpits, any way to get them off balance a little bit gives that competitive advantage. So they don't have to bang and crash. They just got to keep you off balance as a forward. Is that something that, Denton could get better at to help him defend particularly down low around the slot.
2: Yeah, for sure. I I think, um, I think as a smaller guy, you almost have to play a little more patient. Like we were talking about earlier with a uh, Nick Lindstrom and, and and David Yerset kind of letting the forward make the first move. And and when you're in D zone coverage and, and you're a smaller guy and, you know, someone's kind of getting body position on you with their backside it it's definitely doesn't make sense to try to go around them and, and, and get the puck. I would love when guys would do that because you just spin off them on, on the other side. But, you know, when, when you got a smaller frame D-man that kind of plays a little patient and makes you make the first move, then, um, then, then it's harder. And, and they can use their leverage and they can kind of get lower. Um, and, and a lower center of gravity where they can kind of throw you off balance as a taller guy, which is harder. So I think that's something definitely that, that Denton, that, that we'll have to send Denton some clips on and and make sure he understands how to be successful in the NHL as a, a smaller frame guy.
1: We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect. Ray, when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about the Columbus blue jackets prospects right after these messages.
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're discussing the Columbus Blue Jackets prospects with their director of player development, Rick Nash, and, Rick, uh, it's, it seems to be our theme here in terms of defensemen. Let's—I uh, want to ask you about Corson Coolman's and get your thoughts on his continued development in Wisconsin. And I like the fact that when you have a bit of a more raw defenseman that you draft, that he's allowed to go into college and play two or three years and just let him develop at the path he's willing to develop before he jumps into pro. Um, you know, cause he didn't have as much time uh, because of COVID playing in the Alberta junior hockey league with Brooks. So I think, you know, being in college is really going to be a massive benefit to him overall.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and in case with, uh, with Corson, um, you know, he, he, he's a player that's, that's going to have to get stronger. It's going to have to get, uh, you know, some more muscle mass on him and and more explosive and, you know, when you bring up the, the college route, it's kind of perfect for him because he could be in a gym a few days a week where, you know, they're only playing on weekends. And we all know the NCAA facilities are, are first class with their weight rooms and their strength, coach, strength coaches and, you know, going to class and then going to get a workout in. So in, in Corson's case, I think you're right. And, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I feel like it is harder to crack in the league uh, as a D-man. Than it is uh you know a winger um I, I think center is a tough position to crack in the league but um you know for the, for these d men when you're having these huge guys coming down on you on the floor check you want to make sure that they're protected and they're as strong as they can be and in corson's case obviously i think uh being at wisconsin is a huge burden
3: rick i feel like there's a some similarity actually between your uh, your shack and and coleman's and what i mean by that is they both can be offensive defensemen. They both can activate into a rush. They're both physical, so they have that that extra element defensively. But they, they can modify their game to their partner. I Meaning, if they need to insulate for, say, theoretically Adam Bokos down the future, they can do that. Uh, it, it, how important is that for you to to have that Swiss Army knife element to your defenseman like Coolman's?
2: Yeah, that's a, That's a huge positive to have, and I uh, I agree with you. You know, if um, if David has to play with with both. I think David's going to play a bit different and stay back and be a little more defensive. And same with Corson. I, I, I truly believe he has that ability in his game where he he can do some really special things uh, offensively and, and with the puck, but um, he can also has it in him to be a solid uh, you know defenseman and stay at home defenseman. So to be able to kind of have th- those type guys is huge, but um, you know, th- this is in Corson's case, you 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 still want to see him kind of kind of be one of the top D men in the uh, in the NCAA and kind of do it at at that level. Um, you know, it, as as many as positive things as the NCAA has. Um, you know, sometimes it's tough that you don't get to see these guys in main camp and and uh and against the pros and and you know you want them to develop and take their time but uh you know in a case with david it's it's easier to get a read on him because you you see him in camp and some exhibition games but uh you know corson is is a highly highly skilled player that uh you know we're excited
1: when you look at corson's game and you know brad alluded to like having those elements of being a bit of a swiss army knife when you have you know, uh, more offensive style defensemen. you know, Jake Bean and obviously Boquist that was mentioned. And, you know, you look at Denton Chuck as well, who can, you know, provide offense. You have these other guys who can mold into more of, in some cases an insulator, but have the passing ability to augment and help that offensive defenseman so that, you know, they put them in the right position to be able to rush that puck but they could do it themselves as well. Like I just, I like having that element, particularly when those guys are a little bit more lanky and have some more range. When you're with maybe a, a shorter, smaller offensive defenseman.
2: Yeah, you you are right. They can, uh, you, you know, at the at the same time they can they can kind of do it themselves too. When you're playing with a super offensive guy um it, it is very interesting when you look at our uh, our lineup and you you go over the offensive guys we have obviously we have Zach Orensky out with a uh injury as well who's who's one of the best offensive d-man in, in the NHL in my opinion um so you know with with these young guys coming in I I always tell them to be uh to be educated on the depth chart and, and kind of know what your avenue is to the NHL and You know, once once you play a year or two in the NHL, then you can kind of, you know, mold your mold your game to what you think is best and to what the coaches and management think is best. But um, when when we're talking about all these offensive guys that are already established NHLers, I think you're exactly right in the case with David and Corson, that they have to be able to be that Swiss Army knife and they have to be able to play with these super offensive established guys and kind of alter their game a bit to be a, a more reliable defenseman. And I think they, they both can do that.
1: When I ask you about Tim Bernie and um, both Brad and I like to see those later draft picks make it um, because it just gives confidence to those other players who maybe are not drafted or are late draft picks that this can happen. And he's, he's the type of player that, you know, I like his competitiveness. I like his intelligence. And I like the fact that he has really good defensive habits in terms of head on, keeps heads on a swivel, you know, active stick and gap control. It just doesn't seem to give up a lot of time and space. Um, I didn't do that as well as a defenseman, but that's like, I like I agree with you in in, in previous um, comments is about, it's so aggravating for forwards to play against a guy who's just, just always in the way and gives you no time and space and just sort of p- puts you, uh, offsets you and forces you to do things you don't want to do. And I think Tim, is beginning to sort of develop into that type of defenseman.
4: Yeah,
2: you know, it's it's been very exciting to watch Tim because it was kind of when I first took the job um, with the Jackets, it was uh Tim's first uh Traverse City I believe uh, rookie tournament. So I kind of got to watch him play in that tournament where he had a great tournament and and was one of our best defensemen and then he went back to the uh the Swiss League I believe and and played a year there and then uh you know, worked his way over to training camp and played in Cleveland. So as a development coach, it's kind of like the perfect development to watch him, um, you know, come up through the ranks and kind of go through the process of uh, of developing into the NHL D. Now to get a shot at the NHL, obviously you need a lot of right things to happen. And and uh, in, in his case, you know, we, we got banged up. We got a lot of injuries and who knows if we would have ever saw what we saw in these last four games from Tim Bernie if that doesn't happen. So it, it's kind of a silver lining in the, uh, in the season so far to watch Tim come up and, um, and play so well. Now it's just a small sample size, but but we're excited. And, and after watching his game and seeing how he moves the puck, seeing how he makes the, the decision, seeing how he's patient with uh, his, his uh, D zone exits, um, I, I don't want to jump the gun here. And I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I feel like some players can play better in the NHL than the AHL. And I don't know if Tim's there yet, but after the first uh, four games, he almost looks like that type of player where he's good with the puck. He can es- escape a mistake by his skating because he's such a good skater, and then his position play is uh, is so good. So he's he's definitely a guy that we've been happy with in the first four games.
3: I feel like he's a player built to thrive in structure, Rick. So I feel like, to your point, you know that sometimes the AHL is a little more chaotic than it is in the NHL. So I feel like that that's a huge bonus for him. I, you know, I, I got to watch him in the National League level, which I was telling you off camera for a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, as a scout, scouts are weird. I'm a little weird in the sense that I, I don't just love highlight real goals. I, I love quiet efficiency. You know, sometimes you really need that calming calming presence on a blue line. Uh, that's, I feel like what Tim Burney is what part of his efficiency really stands out to you the most? What, what allows him to be so quiet for you?
2: Yeah. You know what? I just wrote it down, Brad, what you said in there at the start was the structure. You know, he, he, he seems like a player that um, that needs that structure and, and he follows the structure. So, you know, I love to watch D man when they get the puck and they have their head up and, you know, it's almost like a quarterback. They have their first, yes. pass, they have their second pass yeah. and then they have their high risk play. And I, I, or or I guess you should say high risk play being a a bad play and a low risk play or the high percentage play is the easy out. And you love seeing a guy like Tim, where he always takes that first option and tries to advance the puck uh, up the ice, you know, with, with a safe play. And then you get some D that almost make it hard on themselves by making those, uh, those cross ice, cross ice passes, high risk plays, whatever you want to call them. But Tim, like you said, follows the structure and I played in Switzerland at two different lockouts, and, and I feel like Swiss players, for the most part, kind of come up with that structure and get taught the game uh, the right way defensively and on the offensive side of the puck. So I think, I think you nailed it with, uh, with your report on Tim saying the structure allows him to play his best game.
1: I always find that defensemen cuz I play football and hockey that quarterbacks and defensemen were very similar in terms of when a defenseman takes the puck behind the net in retrieval and a quarterback's in that three-step drop where you have the two you know the two flankers or the wingers the tight ends are centerman and your defenseman is that running back just out onto the flat and understanding where your best you know where's your first option and just do it every time Instead of trying to force something that, oh, there could be an opportunity if I get it in there, then there's going to be a two-on-one. But you know that percentile is so low, it's going to blow up in my face. So that's why I appreciate guys who just recognize that's the first option and it's immediate. That just like and it makes it easier on the wingers and the centermen too, because they're not having to be forced to like make up for if if you know things go badly.
2: Yeah, you're you're right. And I find I find kind of an issue sometimes with these uh kids that go back to junior and, and and college that sometimes they hold on to the puck too long and they make it hard on themselves and maybe they think they can do more than they need to. And and I I try to tell them as much as possible to uh, you know, if, if the pass is there and you see it right away, that's probably the best option for you. Um, you know, obviously there's times you can take chances depending on game management and what the score is and and you know different situations it's it's easy to watch from above sometimes and, and not realize how fast it is on the ice but I, i'm with i'm with you on that shane that uh that sometimes the, the easiest pass is is usually the right play
1: well rick I want to thank you very much for coming on our show giving some insight of your prospects and uh safe travels out there and happy holidays
2: Thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun to talk to you guys about the prospects.
1: That's Rick Nash, Director of Player Development for the Columbus Blue Jackets. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to focus on the Winnipeg Jets prospect. We're happy to bring in Jimmy Jimmy Roy, Director of Player Development for the Jets. Jimmy, thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it.
5: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, let's uh, chat about some of the most recent draft picks you had, and it was fun at the draft because we do the show live right beside the stage And having Rutger McGordy come over and it was just, he was a ball of energy and he talked about how excited he was to come to Winnipeg. And we talked about him being like, you should, he should have been born in Manitoba. He's that kind of player. Like he's a player that the the fans and the organization are going to identify with because of the style of play and his leadership capabilities and how engaging he is with his teammates and it's something that all his teammates talked about what a great leader he was and also just his second effort and how much he like he does whatever is necessary like for him every play matters and it I look at his skill sets and all his other attributes and those are great but to me what really stood out was every play mattered to him and i think that's going to carry him a long way
5: yeah you know when you talk about um, you know, leadership or, or character and stuff like that. Um, I think that's probably the one thing that jumps out at me um, was his ability to communicate. Um, and that's a leadership skill, right? So um, understanding, you know, we do a thing with players, you know, evaluations, self-evaluations and, and after each game. And one of the things that he does really well is understanding, we ask him three questions, you know, and he understands his game understands what he did well, understands what he needs to work on, and then puts a plan together each day to get better. And that's something um, that's important in development. And some kids, it takes them a while to figure out this process that we do with them, right? He jumped in right away and, and he was good at it. So that's probably the first thing that jumps out at me is his communication skills. Um, I think the other thing that you see, um, you know, you see pretty good size to him. Um, he's got some, He's got some strength to it. He's learning. I seen him early in the year, Um, for two games against, uh, I want to say it was against BU and it was in like the first five games of the season. So he was making that adjustment period from, uh, the development program to college hockey, which is a big adjustment period, but you could see, um, his ability to get the puck off, find some soft areas in the ice. Um, you know, he he was the type of guy you wanted to puck on his stick at, 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 at important parts of the game. Um, but he is still learning. It's a process for all of these young kids, you know. Um, uh, just to, to 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 be able to use his size and strength and and the defensive side of the game and stuff like that. Um, it's a whole learning process. But he's a tremendous kid.
3: Now, some kids are physically underdeveloped during their draft year, and then there's kids like yeah. Rucker. Like an Avengers character, uh, you know, pretty, pretty powerful, <laughs> well-built yep. kid. Uh, the, the the concern with that though is there's not as much room for growth in terms of the peak power output, in terms of being able to get the acceleration to another level. And and for you know, we had him aggressively ranked. We loved the pick, loved the player, but the, the real the real question mark was the skating base in terms of the acceleration and the two three step area quickness to get to those soft ices, uh areas that you alluded to. Uh, how is he in terms of his development with the skating base? where are you, are you comfortable with where uh, he projects to be?
5: Yeah, uh, I, I am hundred percent because I think the one thing that we look at is, is in most 18 year old kids, I'd say ninety percent of them we call it boy strength, right? So they're 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 built um, you know maybe some of them are physically mature, but they still have that boy strength. They don't have their man strength yet you know um, and it takes a while to get into your man strength. It takes a, a while to understand how to use that man strength. And it comes with um, playing games, being put in situations where um, you're going to be able to use it and understanding how to use it. Um, and, and if you don't have it, it's about being on the right side of the puck. It's about using your stick properly, all kinds of things like that. So, um, But as far as his skating is, you know, speaking of that specifically, um, i seen video of him uh, early on um, um, on his skating stride. And, and I've seen it uh, later on. He was working with Barb Underhill. And um, you know what? He's got good technique. He's got good uh, um, uh, uh, direction in his stride and stuff like that. I think it's only going to get better.
1: And that's and one of the interesting things is everybody's looking for the fast skater. And, and I always like have to remind myself is look for players who don't understand how to skate the game. Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's like you gotta like cha- change your pace and understand where the soft ice is gonna yeah. be and how to skate the game. Cause you look at, we bring up Mark Stone a lot on this show about a guy yeah. who isn't fast, but understands how to skate the game and understands where he needs to be and gets there. And I think Rutger, you know, that's almost a, a, to me, is a really good, like somebody for him to watch is go watch Mark Stone skate. And he's not the fastest guy, but he always seems to be like one, he's intelligent, but, you know, he skates the game well. Um, so he understands where he needs to be. And I think Rutger has that potential to be that type of skater.
5: Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. And, but, but
1: the other thing is too, that you throw in there, the
5: character, of the kid and his ability to want to get better and want to learn. And, you know, he's not satisfied with, with just getting drafted or, you know, where he was and stuff like that, or, 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 you know, making the world junior team or whatever, he wants to get to the NHL and that is um, and you can honestly treat genuinely see it in him. And, and that's a, uh, that's a big jump for him.
1: When I want to ask you about Brad Lambert, another player you guys drafted in the first sure. round and with Brad is I felt, and this happens in our industry. I remember when we first started the show, no one cared about prospects. We were like lone voices in the wilderness and now it's an industry upon itself and that these young kids get identified so early and they get and if. If they don't meet outside expectations, they get vilified in many respects yes. unfairly. And, you know, these kids listen and, you know, they go online um, and it can really affect them. And I think unfortunately, um, yeah. unfortunately for Brad, I yeah. think that that may have had affected him in terms of, well, everybody thinks this. And just like I, I almost I said, him at the draft off air. I'm like, don't worry about the outside noise. You just do what you need to do. Right. From that perspective, because there's a lot of talent there. And if it can be molded, um, could be turned into a really good NHL player for you.
5: Yeah. You know, he falls under a little different category for us because um, he kind of falls under this cold perfetti category where he's been able to come over and play in the American League right away um, because of where he was drafted and his in his contract status and everything like that. Um, So his development process has been a little different. Um, I never got to spend time with him last year. Um, or a year before, like I do with some prospects, it's, you know, from training camp on, um, so he falls under a little different, uh, development path, but, um, I think he's going to benefit from it, um, because, um, there is the one good thing about playing in the American league is you're, you're practicing with pros, you're playing with pros, you're doing things on a daily basis in the gym, um, all these things that, um, um, he needs to learn. He's being thrown right into the fire. Um, yeah, he does have to get stronger. Yeah, he's you know, but but his speed and his skill uh, really sets him aside um, right now. And I think our our American League coaches have done a tremendous job finding him in ice uh, finding him ice uh, putting him in situations to succeed um, on uh, um, you know on the power play uh, the end of games. Um, certain times that you know he's going to have to develop in and our American League coaches have done a great job and Brad has done a good job at learning and wanting to learn and, and um, stuff like that but you know his his assets are you know his skating speed is tremendous he, he reminds me of a young Nick Ehlers um, when we had Nick Ehlers we first drafted him um, you know I, I was just those are the type of players your eyes are drawn to when you're watching them on the ice because I love to watch kids skate and, and you've got to be able to skate to play the game now you know Or you got to be able to get up to that NHL speed. He's got NHL speed.
3: Jimmy, I always use the McClouds for this reference, but with skating, it comes greater responsibility with puck management. I yeah. feel like it's you know it's a double-edged sword. On one side, you, as you said, Nikolai Ehlers through the neutral zone, coming down the wing, looks unbelievable yeah. at times. Incredibly talented player. And other times, he's playing the game a little too fast for his own thought process. Where are you in terms of him being able to utilize tempo control and slow down the game and, and find that rhythm, that balance, so that he can readjust his yeah. lines and, and use his primary passing ability?
5: you know what that's a great question because and and it is um uh like looking at my notes I think he's learning the North American game a little bit and 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 it's a learning process for him um there are times when I just watched them in Austin for a couple games I was down there and and there was times he would be you know what trying to he'd be turning back with pucks rather than playing more direct and, and and you know chipping it by and skating by guys or he was all about puck possession stuff but he's that's the way, you know, the game is played over and Finland on the bigger ice a little bit more. So he's starting to understand. Um, and he's a smart kid and he's a skilled kid. And like I said, our coaches have done a tremendous job um, with learning the way he needs to play the game. This is why the American League is there for, for players to understand what they need to work on to get to the national hockey league. And, 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 you know, he's one step away from that, you know, the, the best level in the world. And our coaches have done a tremendous job and he's doing a great job at learning these little things. Like I talked about, um, you know, not turning back with the puck so much that, you know, what getting the puck going forward, getting shots on net when you need to get shots on net um, getting pucks deep, getting them out at the blue lines, um, getting them in at the blue lines, all these little things that our coaches have done a tremendous job. This is, it's a process, right? But uh, that's a great question.
1: And That's what I like to see in the American League. It's about when the kids jump from different leagues in the American League. It's about reforming these new habits. And you got to sort of yeah. keep on them until it becomes like almost autotelic where they don't even think about it anymore. And that just takes time and patience from the coaching staff knowing that this yeah. it's going to take some time and don't worry about it. They're going to yeah. fail sometimes and that's okay because expect it. So But uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these important messages.
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're discussing the Winnipeg Jets prospects with their director of player development, Jimmy Roy. Jimmy, I want to ask you about another player in their most recent draft and Elias Solomonson. It's a player that Brad and I talked a lot about going into the draft because we both thought he was he was really intriguing. Uh so overall thoughts on him, you no, know, you know, feedback you got from your scouting from the scouts and management, then getting a chance to see him play live, watching film of him like getting your thoughts on on him as a player overall
5: yeah like so um you know reading what what we drafted him as, like I don't I don't see a lot of these players in their draft year I get them after we drafted them so you know reading the reports and then like I mentioned before we didn't have a development camp this year what we ended up deciding to do was go around and see all of our players um all of our prospects all of our draft picks uh, myself and and Mike Keane, we went with one of our strength coaches and we went into their environment and said, seen what they were doing for training, talked to their coaches, spent time with them, getting to know them and stuff like that. And Elias was one of the ones that we went over to, to uh, Sweden, up to Schleftia, and, and spent some time with them. So I got to know him um, right off the bat personally in, in, in August, uh, end of July, um, beginning of August. And this is another kid that um, really surprised me. Um, he's living at home with his parents. Um, he's from Schleftia, um, talking with his coaches after he kind of got, um, got going. He has made another jump in his development. Um, and, and Schleftia has done a tremendous job building the development plan. They took my job right out of the picture for him because they put a plan together for him, um, with what he needed to work on. Um, he has really good size. He's a kid that he has boy strength, but when he plays the game, um, you know, he, he plays with man strength when he closes on guys, Um, containing players along the wall net front Um, he plays on that big ice he plays with his man strength he's a tremendous skater Um, he's got really good footwork um, good agility forward to backward moving side to side Um, you know he's still he's he he is a big kid so working on his explosiveness Um, but playing on the big ice over there as an 18 year old kid and getting 20 22 minutes a game um, has been great for him it's unfortunate that he's hurt right now because I was really looking forward to seeing him at the uh, uh, the World Juniors. Um, you know, he probably won't be back till um, the beginning to mid part of January, hopefully, if everything goes well. Um, but um, he's he's a really good kid. Um, I think this year at home um, with his family um, um, and with the coaches that they have in Chalethi and developing will be great for his maturity when he's ready to come over and play in North America.
3: Jimmy, for me, this this pick was. Elias well, it was the dark horse of last draft. Uh, meaning, you know, there there was so much potential because of the toolkit, because the shooting yeah. upside mechanically, his shot was fantastic, yeah. but then there was, there was a, a gray area in terms of being able to figure out exactly what he was going to be because you know, he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't incorporate deception at the rate we theoretically thought he could in terms of being able to make off looks during exits or being able to use exaggerated postural fakes to bypass the neutral zone and and, and create transitional zone entries when he activates or time his pinches correctly at the offensive line, or look to dictate nearly the level you theoretically think he could. Um, fast forward to this, this season, I, I totally agree with you. I, I've watched him uh, five or six times now at the CHL Champions Hockey League level for folks listening, not, not the CHL yeah. you're probably aware of, and then yeah. uh, uh, in the SHL. And to me, the, the first thing that really stands out, he seems so much more comfortable and so much more composed. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about just maybe the mental development? Uh, because he was one of the younger players in the draft. I think that's something that might be lost on some people. He's an August birthday. He was young for that class, yeah. and and it took a bit more time for him to get going.
5: Yeah, and and I think to talk to answer your first question about his his play, what right and and, and all those things that you talked about, I think he's he's now improved on all those areas. Closing on guys, um, um, you know what, finishing. Finishing guys, understanding the system. There will be a part of a process for him when he gets to North America. Um, that's one of the things that that I don't like about the leagues being on the big ice surface over there. The game is so different, right? Um, it's more about um, stick on puck and containing guys, and not um, being able to eliminate guys directly from the play, right? Um, because you're taking yourself out of position or stuff like that. So there will be a learning process for him um, when that comes over. But um, I think. Um, physically um like i mentioned before he is going to he is going to he he has man strength right now and i think that's one of the things that will help him um when he gets to north america um because he is a young kid and i think that probably we didn't know that before about his about his strength cuz and, and and there is a difference you can you might be able to lift as much weight as you want in the gym and 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 do whatever you can and jump as far as you can but when you get on the ice sometimes you're still a boy right and and when that translates into um, a kid to be more of a man at that age um, with some of those things, you're just going to see his development just keep going upward. And, 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 um, you know, I don't think that he's reached his, I don't think he's reached his ceiling or, or will for a while.
1: We also want to ask you about Chaz Lucius, and I'm really curious your thoughts on that transition for him from college to into the American hockey league. Cause I always look at particularly the first 40 games of a rookie. I really want to see how they handle being thrown into the big end of the pool. And then the next 40 games, how they continue, what, what, what have they learned and then how are they applying it to the next 40 games? And then the next season, the next 40 games of them, Mm -hmm. you know, continuing those habits, it's really, I kind of put them into almost 20 game chunks into a 40, yeah, year, yeah. 40 game package, and then do it again, and just sort of keep notes. So I know it's really early with him, and only twelve games in the American League. But what have you seen of how he's transitioned? Because we sort of forget he's he's still only nineteen.
5: Yeah, like he's still he's still you know drafted two years ago, one year of college hockey, and he come from the development program um, similar to that of what like Kyle Connor did, or you know. But the difference here is that Chaz is um, you know in, in his uh, with the in his draft year he was hurt. Um, so he didn't get many games, um, last year at, at, university of Minnesota, he was still hurt. So games just weren't there. So, you know, you talk about your, your 40 game segments, he may be played just over 40 games in two years. Right. So now, you know to get to the American hockey league and he's in the same situation as Brad, where he's a young kid playing in the American hockey league. The one thing that was interesting for me when I got to spend time with him and I go watch him in college is his ability to read the play. Um, he knew what was going on. Uh, two, three times faster than other people. And it was interesting because even myself watching him play, I'm, you know, he'd be turning his back to the play. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you going over there? Like, "What do you th-? And the next thing you know, that's where the puck is. Because he just knows where it's going. Like, he's a very intelligent kid. Um, and and um, he is learning the pro game as well. Things that I talked about before. Getting up to the American Hockey League. He has skill um, to make plays. Um, but playing against men, being in that environment, um, uh, training and practicing against pros every single day, um, and learning how to be a pro, um, and hopefully it speeds up the development process so that we can get him, you know, into the NHL quicker or or with more skills than 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 he had in in college. So, um, this is part of the process for him. Um, he worked out. He is totally 100 all in, um, and I love it when kids are. Um, you know, I, I suggested Gary Roberts for him in the summertime and he's like, yeah, I want to go. So he went and trained with Gary Roberts for the summer. Um, it was a little different for him because he was still rehabbing his injury and stuff, uh, from college, but, um, I love it when kids are all in and, um, he is just, he's a tremendous kid and he's all in and it's great to see.
3: Jimmy, one thing with, with him coming out of, uh, not college, but his draft season coming from the USA shell into college was, was yeah. the, the lack of physical strength? I mean, he was off balance a lot. Yeah. You know, he had difficulty when it came to players leaning on him or him having to react to resistance and be able to spin off pressure and be able to deal with with uh, being able to get himself open in small areas at times uh, because of his because of his acceleration. Um, where are you in terms of his physical development, and how do you feel his skating? Much like Rucker McGordy in some ways, in terms of acceleration yeah. specifically, how, how are you feeling with his development there?
5: I, I think it's coming. I think it's a work in progress for him. Um, but like I said, I, I I like the fact that he's all in. We don't have to um, try and say, hey, can you try this guy? Or maybe you can use this skating coach or whatever. He's like, I want to work with this person. This is what I want to do. I'm going to be on the ice this month, this amount of time, you know? And and so he is, um, he's all in. I, I think his, uh, his skating and you know, talk to a little bit about your first question with the strength wise, because, um I, I think that's just so common amongst draft pick draft kids when they're 18 years old right like I mean I have seen it so many times I've been doing this for this is my 12th year now in in, in player development in Winnipeg and so many young players like Mark shifley Nick Nealers, Kyle Connor um you know I could just go through all these guys that were just boys and had to grow into their body but they all bought in which was great right like um, you know, Mark, he started, when he first started going, he went to Gary Robinson, and learned how how to train. Um, Kyle has a great guy in Michigan that he goes back to. Um, so th- these players, when they buy in, that's the biggest part of the process and, and understanding. So uh, I'm not concerned about the, the the strength or anything like that. I think it'll come when these kids buy have bought in.
1: Well, Jimmy, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. We really appreciate the insight of your prospects and uh, safe travels out there and uh, happy holidays as well.
5: Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for having
1: us. It's uh, Jimmy Wadd, the director of player development for the Winnipeg Jets. Brad and I are going to take a short break, but we'll return and talk more about some prospects right after these important messages.
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: we're back and brought to you by outside edge hockey hockey player development at outsideedge.ca. we're now in hour two we're gonna start it off uh discussing the philadelphia flyers prospects with their assistant general manager brent flair brent thanks for coming on the show again i always appreciate it no problem guys let's uh start off uh, with a little chat about your latest draft picks in the 2022 draft we didn't get really much of a chance to chat actually i thought the first day went pretty fast so um, want to talk about cutter goche right off the top your fifth overall pick um what are your thoughts about his transition coming out of the u.s national program which in some cases or in most cases it's really an all-star team uh which is a sometimes a benefit to an individual player, sometimes a bit of a detriment depending on the ice time they get, but that obviously wasn't an issue for, for Cutter and his game. Talk, talk about his transition into the college game and what you've seen and what you've liked about uh, what he's done so far in the 13 games.
6: Yeah. Well, it's an adjustment for all those kids coming out of that program. Um, especially certain guys, you know, if a guy's going to Michigan, they got probably eight of their teammates with them, but uh, Cutter went to BC and, um, you know, it's a bit of a adjustment, not only, uh, on the ice, but off the ice, especially the last couple of years, a lot of these kids have taken all their courses online and doing it themselves. And then getting into, a um, you know, regular classes in a, an environment like at Boston college, it is a challenge and <clears throat> certainly took some time for him to get adjusted, but he's going well now. And, and, uh, on the ice, I think it just, you know, took some time, different pace and getting those teammates, finding your comfort level and, and then doing the things that he can do and, and uh, just growing his game. So, uh, so far so good. And, and obviously I know he's looking forward to hopefully a good world juniors here.
3: Brent, how has he transitioned to center? I remember that was part of the discussion for a lot of scouts, including myself about long-term. Is he going to be a winger? Is there enough there at center? At the end of the season, I felt like he's, his curve took off in terms of showing better vision than he initially showed uh, in the initial part of the year, and he started he started showing that he could find weak side and backdoor options and 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 be the driver at times as well so where where are you in terms of his development as a, as a potential center
6: Well, so far he's been good you know i think there's at that position there's lots of things to learn um, all the details on the defensive side of the puck uh, face off uh, also coming through the middle of the rink and and, and uh, you know distributing the puck and also using his size and speed and and his shot and, and whatever to, to generate offense as well. So I think he's learning. I think he's uh he's a pretty serious kid and um you know he wants he sees himself as a centerman and that's what he wants and, and we'll help him with that. So
1: Brent, talk a little bit about you know, his style of game and his preference you know, I think he's more of a primary shooter than a passer, and that's perfectly okay in the middle of the ice. We've seen a lot of centermen who like to shoot the puck more than distribute have a tremendous amount of success in the NHL. You look at Bo Horvat, you look at Ryan Kessler in, in that respect. Talk about, about what advantage that gives to an NHL organization in terms of you know having a different look in the middle of the ice where your centermen are not all the same, and it sets up sometimes matchup issues for the defense and other forwards on the opposition with having cutter potentially play it at the center position at the NHL level.
6: Yeah. No, I think that's, you know, the big attraction for us. And and obviously is the size, the strength, the, the, the speed that he has and um, the ability to do things with the puck, not only shooting and um, he can plays, but learning just to kick it out, drive the middle. And, and it puts a whole lot of pressure on uh, defenses at the college level and and again, at the pro level, it will do the same. So um, you can't teach the tools that he's been blessed with. And he puts a lot of time off the ice, uh, getting stronger and faster. And, and uh, you know, he's, we understand he's got a ways to go, but we feel he's, uh, he's going to be a load to handle down the road.
3: Can you talk about a bit about uh, his power game and what it's developing as? Because I remember one, one thing that was interesting about him is he's, he's big. Obviously, the toolkit is, is incredible, incredible skater, gifted athlete. Um, but I felt like the, the power game was just developing. He's just, just starting to get going. Do you feel the college level is going to really help uh, pronounce that aspect of his game? Because now he's dealing with kids who are older than him and stronger than him?
6: Yeah, I know I think for sure. And, you know, he's a target every night like a lot of these top young kids coming into college hockey. So, you know, opposing defensemen and forward they are coming after him. So you, you learn to, you know, you're not just dominating physically against junior kids like he, he has. You know, you've you're got bigger, stronger guys that you have to deal with. And um, But he's learning. Uh, he's had some good wars already this year in and, and college hockey, and I think he enjoys that part of it.
1: We want to ask you about Devin Kaplan, who another big strapping Uh, right winger, right-handed shot, who's playing against Cutter's, you know, rival at Boston university and thoughts on him, you know, coming out of the U S national program as well, and then making that transition over to to Boston university. And how do you, how do you see how he's developed and uh, it, will he have a little bit of a longer uh, track to have and runway before he turns pro just be able to make that transition through and then be a more dominant player before he makes it uh, a jump into the AHL.
6: Yeah, no, for sure. I think he's, he's a longer path uh, getting there. Um, but obviously we, we're really happy with um, a lot of the things he brings. He's a, he's a big, strong kid. He's a tough kid. He's physical. He loves that part of the game and he plays a bit of a power pro game, you know, down low around the net and he's got some jam and, um, you know, things, you know, the pace of the game and everything, it's an adjustment at the college level. And, um, you know, he's they got a pretty deep team there in BU and he's got to earn every shift and and that's healthy. So um, he's in a good, a good program there. Uh, they like him. He likes it there and I uh, he should just get better and better.
3: I, I love the pick right when you made, when you made, it, I thought Kaplan had a lot of raw and tapped upside. You know, I always think of him as like one of those chaos generator style of players that that's all over the puck in the right areas of the ice down low in the in the offensive zone, but the, there was a couple of limitations to him in terms of when you when you project him and, and look at the outlook. And the big one for me was the development of the skating base. I feel like that's a critical component. He had a short stride; he, he stands very upright out of turns. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of work to be done with the skating base. How do you feel he's developed with the skating uh, coming into the season?
6: Uh, no, I think it's already improved uh, dramatically. I think his top end speed's fine. I think he's working the, the stride. I think the quickness and agility. And not only that, but just moving his feet and playing with pace. Uh, a lot of time he, you know, that at the junior level, you get a little more time. So you receive a pass and then you start moving your feet. Well, he's got to be in motion all the time. And those are the things he's learning. But, um, you know, he works hard at his, as his craft. He's a, he's a pro off the ice. And I don't think that's going to be an issue down the road.
1: What are your thoughts on his, um, obvious willingness and his enjoyment when it comes to mucking it up and causing as brad said chaos but the penalty mints will come with it like last year you know he held it pretty much to you know he was pretty good about his discipline this year he's already got 29 pims in 16 games and you never want to take the i guess the piss and vinegar out of a player but there is you know situational awareness that has to be controlled and understanding you know when and where to sort of push it to the line um and sometimes you're going to go over and that's okay but thoughts on that part of his game
6: yeah and that's a that's a struggle for him i think right now i think he he takes penalties but he's in scrums he's obviously aggressive um he's starting some of them he's but he'll finish most of them so um a lot of times when you're the bigger guy and the more aggressive guy you get thrown in the box and you know, unfortunately, at the college level, um, you get thrown in the box and get the extra minor and uh, in the pro game. it's just to uh, go to the bench. So I, I do think that thing will correct itself. But in the college level, he's going to have to learn not to, you know, pick his spots and um, obviously bite your tongue once in a while, hold back and, and make sure you're not hurting your team. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, Jordan Greenway when, when I was a mini had to do the same thing. It's just uh, a different game. And um, at the NHL level, you'll, you'll be allowed to do a
3: lot of different things. So, When you look at his offensive skill set, I, I thought he was an underrated playmaker uh, who also was a feature, a pretty soft catch and release, even though some of the mechanics, you know, within his shot were, were a little bit wonky in terms of like him needing to grow into his frame and develop his coordination further. But uh, where are you most impressed with him in terms of his offensive skill set at the college level as of right now?
6: Well, I think once you get the puck below the dots, he's strong in the puck. He's good on the cycle. Uh, he's a big body. He's strong, so he can hold people off. And, and he, you know, he surprises you. He makes some plays out of the corner to the front of the net. And, you know, you don't think he sees somebody, and he does. And um, But he's got a heavy shot. You know, again, he likes to be around the blue paint, and he's a load to deal with at the college level already. So, um, you know, I, I just think he's a work in progress, but there's lots and lots of things to like there. And and the physical package and the, the grit and the desire uh, are big parts of what makes him the player he is. so
1: Based on his style of play, and you know the current coach you have with the Philadelphia Flyers, and what the fan base is like, um, would you expect Devin Kaplan and, and his game to be a bit of a fan favorite the minute you know he throws on a Philadelphia Flyers? jersey you know maybe in his first prospect camp or development camp or or into an exhibition game
6: yeah no i think he's he's talked about that already he's he's a jersey kid so he's pretty familiar with the flyers organization and and what they're they're known for in the past and um but no he's you know the big bodies the, the physical players and guys like that are hard to find the power guys and um you know they take longer to develop but when they get there they're extremely valuable and um you know he understands where he's at where he's at in the process and uh, he's working hard and he's going in the right direction
1: we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect Radio. Right? we come back we'll continue to talk about the philadelphia flyers prospects with their assistant general manager right after these important messages
0: you're listening to hockey prospect radio on sirius xm nhl network radio here's shane malloy and brad allen
1: we are back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're talking about the Philadelphia Flyers prospects with their assistant general manager, Brent Flair. Brent, I want to ask you about Tyson Forster. Um, intrigued to get your thoughts on, you know, he because of what happened with COVID, you know, he was it sort of rare that he jumped in and played with Lehigh Valley in 2020, in 2021, 20, and then, you know, COVID causing, you know, problems again. He got some time in the American League and the, Ontario, you know, the OHL played at the World Juniors. They sort of bounced between those three teams. And now finally this year, COVID is letting this get back to some level of, of normalcy. And he's at full time at Lehigh in the American Hockey League. Talk about that journey for him over those two years. And then as he transitions into like full time in the American Hockey League as a 20-year-old.
6: Yeah, it was uh, it was an adventure for him, for sure. Uh, I think the first year was a bit of an off year. I think everybody's excited about playing, but, um, you know, he had a real good start for, for a young 18-year-old just drafted. Uh, last year he got off to start, and, and unfortunately uh, he did a five-on-three power play, he dove for a puck, subluxed his shoulder, and uh, had to have surgery. So he missed the majority of the season, came back late, uh, and got a few games in and buried down the stretch, and, uh, you know, came back um this year was fortunate enough uh, for him that the world juniors is in the summer so he got he got to participate and i think it was huge just to get the ice time and playing at a tournament at that pace and uh, just to get his game back and going so he came into camp performed real well uh you know he was destined for the american league there you know he wasn't going to realistically make our team this year so uh he's getting in the reps he's playing on the top line he's playing power play um and he's having success he's leading our team in lehigh valley and scoring and but he's learning the little facets of the game too not just scoring goals so um it's been a great experience and you know he's a kid that loves to come to the rink he's got a big smile on his face every day and uh, so far we're very happy with him
3: now, my my stylistic player comp for him has always been Mark Stone uh, and like Mark Stone he's going to have to anticipate the play really well in order to keep up and that's why I was going to ask you about the pacing how how do you feel he is uh, adjusting to the American League in terms of his overall pacing do you feel that it's it's at the level now where you're comfortable that he can transition to the NHL down the road with it
6: yeah no he's there i think he's there um, you know he's getting he's gotten a lot stronger from his draft year think like his skating's come a long way as part of its moving speed part of it but one thing he can do is like Mark Stone. He's, I know that's a, that's a heavy name, but uh, you know th- what they can do is think fast. And, you know, Tyson's, you know, he's one step ahead to play all the time. But he's good hands, good gets in position. And, and when he gets a sh- chance to shoot it, he usually puts it in the net. So, um, but no, he's worked hard uh, off the ice, spent most of the summer. And, uh, and, and Voorhees uh, training with our trainers all summer, which is, which is great. And uh, he's worked real hard at it. And, you know, he's put a lot of, put a lot of body, you know, mass on and it's gotten a lot stronger and it's going in the right direction. So I, he's something, something he works on every day is foot speed and, and power. And, um, but with his size, his range, his hands his, and his vision and, and instincts, uh, you know, we're going to get him there.
1: to talk a little bit about his skating. Cause I think sometimes there's a misconception of if somebody skates really fast, they're an effective skater. And that's not always the case. And you look at a guy like Tyson Forrester where, I think he's beginning to really understand how to skate the game and having blazing speed shouldn't affect him as you had mentioned with the other skills, but like him, I think he's understanding where, when, and when to use skating and find those little pockets of spaces or to take away time and space, because he could, I think he can be pretty effective and not be the fastest guy on the ice.
6: Yeah. no, well, He's never going to be accused of being a McDavid skater, but he, I think it's improved um, when you're him, when he's at top speed, it, it's not an issue right now. I think when he extends his shifts and do things like that, you can, you know, when it falls off for a young player, it, um, you can notice it. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's a work in progress, but he is a smart player. Uh, he knows where to be on the ice. And, uh, again, he, with his brain, he, he's able to think fast and play fast and, and it, you know, generate offense. So uh, it's been a great learning experience for him. We've thrown a lot at him and, and he's handled everything so far.
3: When you look at his long-term outlook, obviously he's a power play weapon, um, but at even strength, you feel that even at the AHL level now, he's, he's showing what he showed in the OHL, which has been a natural dual threat. That was one of the biggest upsides to me was like, okay, let's say theoretically defensemen close on him quickly. Well, if he can't find a lane to escape through, he can obviously make a, a, a strong you know, saucer pass, a technical pass through layers. He, he can find options very quickly. Is that, is that still very pronounced at the AHL?
6: Yeah, no, he's good on the wall. Um, you know, he's real good awareness. So he draws people to him and makes little plays in small areas and jumps into holes. And you know, he's always moving. But he, uh, yeah, he's really worked on the defensive zone, uh, working on the defensive zone wall, getting pucks out, making little plays to get out of the zone and getting that ice. So uh, a lot of things you get away with in junior you don't at the pro level. But he understands that, and he was a, probably a little advanced just because of some of the experience he did have at the pro level. Some other young guys didn't. But um, again, he's the details, doing it every day and, and coming back every day and, and being the, the top player. And that's that's what he's working on being right now.
1: Brent, he's another player who gets involved um, and may rack up some additional penalties. And I don't mind the aggressive penalties because it sets a tone and creates some time and space for you what are the discussions that you and, you know, the staff in the American league and player development have talked to him about when to, when to pick his moments. Cause he's a big guy too, who can, you know, draw defenders and get into those nasty areas. And sometimes, you know, things
3: happen.
6: Yeah, no, it, it's something he's, he's used to. He's, he's pretty confident, a little bit cocky kid. And uh, he, he's in those, he's, in, he's always talking, he's always yapping and, he can get under the skin of the opposition, which is good. And as long as it's, uh, you know, keeping him on his game and not impacting his play, then he can do whatever he wants. So uh, again, just going to the areas where he goes to it, you know, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be uh um, you know, he's going to have some run-ins out there, but uh, you know, obviously we don't want him sitting in the penalty box, but at the same time, it's part of the game. He's a competitive kid and things happen.
1: I want to ask you about uh, an offensive defenseman and Emil Andre and, what I'm intrigued with him is the fact he's played so many games and the Swedish elite league level for a young player. He's been through two world juniors, um, played a lot of international hockey for Sweden. Um, and he is undersized and not many defensemen at his size play at the NHL level on a regular basis. I think I counted 10 um, currently that are five, 10 and smaller from your perspective of seeing him play, what are, the, what are the skills and attributes you think that, you know, he can bring that will help him translate to the NHL based on how the game is currently played?
6: Well, this is his hockey sense uh, top end. He knows uh, the way he sees the game, the way he sees the play, he makes outlets. You know, he never seems to be in trouble. Um, you know, obviously, offensively, he's, you know, he has a dimension there, too. Uh, he's short he's a real stocky kid very strong very mature um, and very competitive so um, you know he's been a leader in the Swedish national team there for a while and and uh, you know he's had a lot of experience in pro hockey and, and not only playing he's played big minutes and had big roles so uh, it's a great league over there for developing defensemen and uh, you know he's had a strong year on a on a tough team but he's um, you know he's he's met with them there a couple of weeks ago when I was over there and uh, he's, he's excited, and uh he's ready for the pro game.
3: Brent, I always thought this player is is kind of like a more of a breakout specialist than anything a smaller breakout specialist very unique player not not many of them in the n h l uh one of, one of the issues he had for me was the very similar to kind of Tony D'Angelo in the in the sense that very intelligent in terms of the instincts to move the puck up the ice, but the spatial recognition uh when somebody was transitioning down on them could be mixed and that led to mismanaged gaps. How are you in terms of his development, in terms of his gap, gap awareness, gap tightness, and being able to hold the defensively? Because you mentioned the stocky kid who can, who can keep, kid, keep players the outside that are bigger than him, but he's got to make sure he's put himself in a position properly to do that. So where, where is he on that front? Oh,
6: he's been good. I think when he plays pro level, his minutes are, are normal. Uh, I think in a lot of the times I've seen him get in trouble with gaps or uh, he's just extending shifts or playing too much. and you know, you end up pacing yourself and getting in trouble. So, um, you know, I think, you know, at the pro level, his minutes will be managed, I think they are now. And, uh, you know, it's something that he's always had to work on as a smaller player, and it's something you continue to have to work on. But he is strong, he's competitive, and, and, uh, you know, his foot speed handling gaps and stuff, it's going to be adjustment again. But that's kind of why he wants to get over here and, and play on the small ice and get used to it.
1: Brent, talk about that opportunity for him to be the captain of the world junior team for Sweden and how much did that help impact him and help him understand that, you know, the challenge of being a leader on a team, especially on an international competition, but those lessons learned, how, the, how do you think that's going to help him as he transitions to North America and into the American Hockey League?
6: Oh, I think it's, it's- thing to find you know you if you have a chance to talk to him he's got a presence uh, he's very serious and he's uh you know he's not if you're afraid to are afraid of the answer don't ask him a question because he's pretty blunt but he's uh he's a good kid and he wants to win and he wants to be the best he can and um again there's no no passiveness to his game there's no passiveness to the way he handles himself off the ice and uh, he's got a presence he carries himself and i can understand why you know he's been a leader on those teams throughout his career
1: What do you think in terms of, you know, because, you know, say he has this presence and, you know, he communicates really honest and direct uh, in terms of, you know, him communicating with his teammates, but also like his learnability, how quickly he learns and adjusts when coaches or, you know, people from the development staff say, here's something to consider into your game. You know, let's try to work on this. How quickly does he transition, takes that information and then applies it uh, on, you know, in a practical sense on the ice.
6: Well, I think that's part of the reason he's been able to play at the pro level uh, so early in his career, especially as a young guy, is because of his brain and, and his ability to pick up things and uh, take what's given to him. So he's uh, he's got a good defensive coach there that's really helped him. Um, he's got a real good familiarity with Shell Samuelson, who's on our development staff. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's just kind of kept taking steps every year and, and uh, you know, he'll continue to do so.
1: Brent, thank you very much for coming on our show. We really appreciate the insight of your prospects. Uh, safe travels out there, and happy holidays!
6: All right, guys, thanks a lot.
1: That's Brent Flair, the assistant general manager for the Philadelphia Flyers. Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these important messages.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio.
1: Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back, and powered by Power Player. The- hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now in a regular segment with Dr. Kevin Willis. It's all mental as we continue to go through his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. We are in Chapter 6, Perseverance. And the subtopic this uh, in this segment is foster resilience. So as I'm reading through the book, Dr. Willis, you um, as you... Mention it says resilience is the ability to bounce back and get in a positive mental space after a setback, a d- disappointing loss, a bad game, or harsh feedback from a coach. And as you move up the ranks in hockey, you'll find that resiliency, or what you know you call bounce, is an important part of perseverance. And to me, I think that's you know especially in developing players, you know that age sixteen to kind of twenty two, is if you don't have that ability at a high level, as you get through that, you know, that 18 years of age, you're getting into your draft year. If you haven't started to develop that, and that isn't something that gets worked on, I don't know from your perspective, from a, you know, from a clinical psychology standpoint and working with your clients. But to me, like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's maybe the most important factor in terms of success as you go through the different levels from like junior or college or, you know, European junior hockey into the pro ranks of like, you know, the European pro ranks, the American League, and then into the NHL. If you can't, if you don't have the bounce, as you call it, like, forget about it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even know. I don't even mm-hmm. know if the other skills will be it would be enough like in your book, even if you're good in the other skills, if you don't have that ability, that bounce ability, that, res- that foster that resilience, I don't know if you're going to make it. It's just, yeah. to me, it's the guys who just keep getting, like not only just get back up, because you can't get back up and like, you know, keep driving headfirst into the brick wall. You there, there has to be a level of common sense and intelligence and, you know, self-awareness. There's other keys in that. But boy, man, like you know, getting knocked down and getting back up and bad things happen. Cause Hey, that's life. That's going to happen. Yeah, no, It's, it it's going to happen. It
7: is. And I think one of the things we do is unfortunately, I think when, when these kids are young and they're coming in and they're playing, you know, eight, nine, 10, you know, for the most part, it, the game is fun. We're just playing to have fun. We're trying to get better. Um, there's really, you know, I don't know. There's not, there's not an expectation of high performance, although, you know, parents certainly want to see their kids stand out and all that kind of stuff. But the the, the problem is the thing that I see at the younger ages is that we make this idea of, of making a mistake of, you know, screwing up a play or something like that, a bad thing, right? It's something that's uncomfortable. It's horrible. It's don't do it again. What's wrong with you? I remember when I was uh, coaching my own kid, I was, uh, he was, I think maybe 14 at the time. And, playing triple A and and we had an assistant coach that uh, it was it was late in the season. It was an important game. Um, and he was playing wing and somehow he was near the point. I guess the the D cycled down and he was near the point. The puck was coming up. He was on his off wing as a forward, you know, in a, an important game and the puck got past them coming out of the zone. And so they got a breakout and and they scored and and we ended up losing the game. And I remember he just got ripped a new one by the, you know, the assistant coach and I was still sort of out signing the sheet and all that kind of stuff. And as I went in, it's just like really quiet. And I was like, Oh, Hey, okay guys. You know, and we're all bummed that we lost, but it wasn't until we were heading home that my son was just destroyed, you know, that he caused this loss, that he was the reason that the whole team lost and we weren't going to move on and all this. And I'm telling you, it was years before he recovered from that. And this, this idea is that if you make a mistake, then you're a failure. If you make a mistake, then you are not, you know, a quality hockey player. And just think about what that means to a young person is what they're going to do is either a, they're going to be really careful. And, and, you know, you don't, you don't have great players that play careful, right. Or number two, they're just going to, you know, slip away from the game. Now, thankfully he survived, he got through it and, you know, all was right. But we've got to let these kids fail. We've got to make it OK for these guys to screw up, because that's where bounce comes from. You know, if, if you get knocked down and then you get ripped a new one, then your bounce is is non-existent. Right. You fall, you get yelled at, you stay down and slink away. Um, but if somebody says, no, push it, push it, push it, push it. I, I worked with a coach that would make the guy skate and, and he would scream, you know, skate, skate, skate. If nobody's falling, he's like getting pissed. Skate, skate, skate. Now guys are like starting to fall and, and they're just, you know, they're losing their edges and stuff like that. And now we're slapping sticks and we're really excited about, you know, these guys are pushing it. That's what it's all about. We're literally celebrating the fact that they fell. Because they were taking as far as they could to the edge, and this was a young team as well. And I think that's sort of the mentality that we got to get at if we're gonna if we're gonna increase resilience in, in young people, then we've got to make it okay to fail. And you know, I preach all day long how important it is, you know, to learn from our failure. You, you said it that you know you, if you if you cannot learn from your mistakes, if you cannot learn from the adversity that you faced, then you will get chewed up and spit out right? Those that can, those that embrace that, those that look at, you know, these really tough times as a challenge that to be overcome versus a threat to, you know, my, my persona or my, my hockey, you know, uh, presence, then, then you've got a player who will eventually meet a point where they don't have what it takes to move on.
1: From from your perspective, how critical is it in development the mental emotional development to look nobody wants to fail but it's going to happen like my failures are like vastly outmatch my successes in life and like just that's what way life is but you know you don't want to make a mistake but they're going to happen and the only way you understand how far you can really push it is by pushing it to the point where you make a mistake and then you understand how far you can push it without getting out and so that you can get away with it. And then maybe you think, Oh, wait a minute. There's a strategy where I can push it even just a little bit farther where you get that incremental improvement. And that's what the separation point is. I think in players in every attribute that they have. And that's where I think from a coaching and a player development standpoint is about understanding that, Hey guys, every shift, you're making a mistake it's going to happen. Even if we scored a goal yeah. on the shift, yeah. it's going to be, I could point out mistakes in the shift. Like you have to be able to push it to the point where like, you know, I've had people say to me, Oh, if you were on Wayne Gretzky's wing, what would you do? You know, at first you're, you're thinking about keeping your stick on the ice and trying to find a place for you, for him to like, to get you the puck. And in reality, you're like, I'm going to go play defense, even though I'm a winger, and I'm going to, cause I can't, I can't <laughs> what he's going to do and hit, let him in yeah. the right winger do whatever they got to do. And I'll play left. And I'm just going to like cover up for whatever mistakes they're going to make because they're it's guaranteed. You think Wayne Gretzky's a player. Oh, he won't make mistakes. He made thousands of mistakes, right? Because yep. he's in yep. the limit. so understanding that, Hey, like Wayne did it. And so y- you can do it.
7: Yeah. Yeah, and and I think mistakes. You know, if if anybody, young player, old player, you know, veteran, pro, amateur, whatever, if they take a mistake as as sort of a a statement on their value, or they 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 allow it to be sort of an axe to their ego, then you're gonna you're gonna struggle, right? I, I get the social approval stuff. I get that you know, we got to fit in and stuff like that. And, and just like you said, nobody likes to screw up. Nobody does. I don't care who you are. Nobody likes to screw up. But if there there does come a time where you have to recognize that, you know, if I screw up, it's not because I'm a loser. It's because I am learning something that's hard. Um, and so we've just got to work with our young kids to to embrace, you know, these kinds of mistakes as long as we're learning. Now, there's nothing more infuriating than than seeing a kid make the same mistake over and over and over again, right? That that basically means you're not learning. You, you're making the mistake, okay, I get it, but you're not learning. And so now I've got a problem with it. There's there's a break in the the value of this mistake um uh, you know situation. So learn from your mistakes, make an adjustment and then go try it again. And then the other thing we probably have to to make a break for uh for commercial but the other thing that I want to talk about is this idea that there are times when i push the edges of my comfort zone and i push them hard and then there are times when i need to sort of rein it back and play more within myself and we talked about this in a prior episode but you know i think this is an important distinction too because we're not you know going all out in crazy situations when you know it it can matter to the you know overall team standings or or winning and losing important games there are times when You've got to play what we call simple, and there are times where we've got to, you know, really push ourselves. And I think that's a that's another distinction of this this bounce idea is is doing the you know performing the right way at the right time.
1: Well, we are going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, and we'll be right back.
8: Did you know you can open Upper Deck hockey packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and pack.com.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
1: What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings. And comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game.
9: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and wee. Contact us today at OutsideEdge.ca.
0: Prospect News
1: and Analysis.
0: This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're packed back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at and- powerplayer.com we're continuing to speak with dr kevin willis in our segment it's all mental as we discuss his book hockey Grit, grind in mind we are in the chapter six perseverance the subtopic today is the parable of perseverance that's a mouthful now uh, the one part of of this segment that i thought really interesting um is the two common responses to adversity you see in players can be summed up through the player through players you'd call Mr. Easy and Mr. Intensity. Can you sort of like break down those two things to me?
7: Yeah, so, you know, Mr. Easy is the guy that got, he's got skill. He's probably had skill for a long time. He can show up. He can play. You know, he's probably on a team that, you know, he can probably deliver half effort or even less sometimes and still really, you know, keep up. And and when he needs to stand out, he can step on the gas a little bit and, and really go. And I think Players like that, you know, they win you games and stuff like that. But what, what happens is they don't learn how to compete, right? And then you got, you know, Mr. Hustle who goes out there and works hard every shift, maybe not as skilled, um, naturally gifted, right? Um, but has the the desire and the work ethic to just continue to push the envelope of what's possible for them. And, and guys like this, you know, they they do learn to compete. They, they have to. They, they have no other choice, right? They don't have that overdrive gear that some of these Mr. Easies have. Uh, And the problem is, is when you get, you know, these players in, in tough situations, there's, you see guys, you know, getting the juniors guys moving up, maybe they were the best player on their, you know, Bantam team. and, And now they're the best player on their U16 team. And, and they're like, you know, just looking, Oh my gosh, I get a shot at the USHL or, 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 you know, maybe even get invited to a junior camp or something like that. And then all of a sudden they're put in a situation where they really have to deliver. And then they realize, oh shit, I don't have that gear. I, I never learned that gear. And so they they panic, they freak out. Uh, and, and as much skill as they have, it's not there for them, right? We've talked about this before. We don't, you know, necessarily rise to our skill, we sort of fall to our habits, and because the habits that Um, they've they've had all these years at being good without necessarily having to work hard. Then when the pressure's on, they default to what they know and what they know is not enough. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're sort of getting left behind and, and they don't know how to fix it. That hard worker, this undrafted player that, you know, was skipped. And now all of a sudden they're the ones that's slowly moving from fourth line to third line, to second line to, you know, compete on the first line. It's because they learned how to compete. They learned how to, to dial it up, how to shift to a low gear and really grind it out until, until they get some traction. And so, that, that to me is something that as a coach, you really got to pay attention to because you do yourself a disservice when you don't teach these good players how to compete.
1: Yeah, no, and that's fascinating because I, I'm assuming that both players handle adversity differently. Um, you know, from external and internal, not just necessarily internal in terms of the person, but internal on, you know, you know, when you're playing, but externally, I find, you know, sometimes the Mr. Easy gets all this praise and they just, it's always positive and good. And they just, they never ever handled any level of adversity in their life outside of the game as well. Um, because the, the, their, you know, their focus or the low guys always on, well, I'm a great hockey player. So that's my identity and I'm super skilled and I can just get away with it. And they don't think they can get, a, they just get away with, they just like go out and play and I can do it. Cause I'm so much better than everybody else. But when they get into a situation where everybody's pretty much as skilled as they are, that's where I find the difference between the guys that are going to make it and the guys that are not.
7: Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you're under pressure, when things are important and you're under, you know, high pressure, you are going to default to something that you trust and that you know. And if that's hard work and effort, then you can battle out of it. If it is a certain skill set that all of a sudden, you know, everybody else is as good as you and that's all I've got, then that's when these, you know, these early good players. Started get left behind, and so it's really about work ethic. I think teaching kids how to work hard, teaching kids that failure is okay, teaching kids that you know um, tough situations are not something to hide from. There's something to lean into and to embrace and appreciate this opportunity to learn. Um, now you've got a player in the making. Now you've got somebody who's going to have skills, and you've got to do it young because. Just like skating and stick handling and all these things, you know, it requires so much practice, repetition over and over and over to make it, you know, close to automatic. Well, it's the same thing with our mental skills. If we're not practicing a work ethic, we're not practicing, you know, sort of resilience and, and balance and stuff like that, then it just because now I know about it, somebody calls me up and says, Hey, we've got a tryout with a major junior team, you know, get my guy ready. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, that's what we should have been doing for the past, you know, three or four years and so it's you just don't turn it on you've got to you got to develop these skills into habits to so that they're there when you need them
1: so from from your perspective say you're working for an nhl team and they draft a player 17 18 years of age is 3 years 4 years of continued work with that player enough time to and and is his mind still malleable enough to make those changes required to get him ready through as he maneuvers through the rest of his junior or college career into the A- AHL is, is that four-year timeframe enough time?
7: It depends on the kid, right? So everybody matures physically at different rates and every, every kid matures mentally at different rates. So you really got to sort of read the kid, but it's never too young to teach these guys that, uh, you know, failing is, is okay. That's how you get better. You only get better by screwing something up, figuring out why it didn't work and then going at it again. You know, I watch these guys play video games and they just, you know, they get blown up over and over and over and keep doing these levels over and over and over. And they have no problem with it. Why? Because that's not them blowing up. It's this, you know, character on the screen. But damn it, I'm going to figure this out. Crap, it got blown up again. I'm going to figure it out. So they know. They know it, but now all of a sudden ego is all wrapped up into it. So instead of thinking, you know, I screwed up, I got to learn this. They're thinking I screwed up now. I'm bad. I'm, I suck. The coach is ripping me a new one. And that's part of it too. The coach, the pressure coaches have to really appreciate this dynamic that has to happen. And I you know, sometimes I think coaches panic and, you know, it's about winning and it's about, you know, your best player better be your best player. And if he's not, then, uh, you know, I'm going to you know throw a nutty on the bench so it's, it's, it's not just the, the player, right? It's the, it's the organization, it's the systems, it's the tolerance for failure. But, you know, I, I alluded to something earlier and that was the idea that um, there are times to push the limits, to fail, to, to get outside your comfort zone and be okay with screwing up, but learning and, and coming back and trying again. And that's when we're in practice, right? That's when we're in practice. That's when it matters. Um, and so that's when we have to be prepared to go all out, but in games, Uh, we've got to rein it in. We've got to play smart. We've got to do more of the things that we can do naturally and not try stuff that could put, you know, us and our team in a situation where, you know, we're not ready. So that that's, that's a big factor too. It's not just doing it. It's doing it at the right time.
1: Well, thank you once again for coming on our show and our segments. We always appreciate it. And for our guest, Bill Zito, General Manager for the Florida Panthers, Mark Yates from Instat. Uh, Pat Malloy coming in and pitch hitting for Brad Allen. Always appreciate it. And Alex Henry for the Arizona Coyotes for player development. I'm Shane Malloy. It's another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio. And we will see you at the rink.
8: Did you know you can open Upper Deck hockey packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck e yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck EPAC and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
1: What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas and they need to know how they're doing. Power player brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings. And comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game.
9: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players.